Today's podcast is brought to you by Howie's new book, Paperboy. To order today, go to HowieCarshow.com and click on store. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio, it's the Grace Curley Show. we got to bring in a new voice, a young voice, a rising voice, Grace Curley. You can read Grace's work in the Boston Herald and the Spectator. Especially, Grace, Grace, stand up. Here's the millennial with the mic, Grace Curley. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Grace Curley Show. So Joe Biden was supposed to speak at what time, Jared? 12? What are we in? A full hour now. Over an hour late, he's going to remark on the border bill. I'm sure he's going to talk about how Republicans just aren't doing their part. You know, they just they need to give him more money. They need to give him more power. They need to let him do his job. And it's also predictable, but I don't even think it's going to work on the lowest of info voters at this point. It's pathetic. Um, There are obviously and deservedly so there are many pieces today and over the weekend tearing into this bipartisan wink, wink, border bill, a a bill that, from what I can see, actually doesn't seem too concerned about securing the border at all. And in fact, what a lot of critics point out is the bill seems like it's going to incentivize more illegal crossings. But my next guest and one of my favorite writers from The Federalist, John Daniel Davidson, he's zeroing in on the role that Mexico would play in the proposed legislation. I think this is really important for my listeners to be aware of because this is a big part of the bill that gets kind of stuck into one page. John, please tell my audience what is buried on page 85 of this bill. Yeah, Grace, on page 85 is what amounts to a slush fund for Mexico to the tune of, well, there's two pots of money. One is $415 million. The other is a larger pot of $850 million. And these are funds that are set aside for, quote, partner country, the partner country to be able to receive and process and house illegal immigrants that we supposedly are going to deport to those countries under the agreement that would go into effect with this legislation. Uh, Now, Mexico itself, the word Mexico, hardly appears in the bill at all. And and indeed, Mexico is not named on page 85. Ah. Uh, You can be sure that (laughs) that those (laughs) funds are going, almost all those funds are going to Mexico. And if not Mexico, then Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Yeah, John, you brought up the fact that a month ago, the Mexican president, he was very... um, he was very bold and he he was not shy at all about asking for a good amount of money from Joe Biden. It's in the billions. I think you wrote 20 billion. It didn't get nearly enough play from the press, but that's how much he thought he deserved a month ago. Yeah, and and understand too that this is what the Mexican president Lopez Obrador thinks that the Biden administration owes him for helping out with the border problem. Now the border problem is one that Mexico has created. Uh, They have their own incentives for creating it. Uh, The the Mexican regime is basically melded with the cartels that control the border, that are making billions off the border. And so from Lopez Obrador's perspective, he's saying to the Biden administration, if you want us to help shut down illegal crossings, we're going to lose a lot of revenue for that. And so we need to be compensated. And he thinks they should be compensated to the tune of $20 billion. That's what 
He said in January, the month before, high-level Biden administration officials went to Mexico City. And you can be sure that this border bill is a down payment on what amounts to a bribe for the Mexican state. Yeah, John, you write, at best, it's a quid pro quo for cooperation on the border. At worst, it's a ransom payment to a hostile neighbor with ill intent. You would never know, though, that that's what we're dealing with based off the language here and the way the Biden administration is treating Mexico. You would think that, you know, this is our neighbor. This we're just working together. This is all very on the up and up. And that's not what we have here. No, not at all. And this is a problem that goes back decades U.S. policymakers are stuck in this mode of thinking that Mexico is a partner, is a neighbor, that we work together in, you know, we cooperate to solve, you know, problems that affect us both. That is not the case, and that has not been the case for a long time. And I want to be really clear with your listeners here. The Mexican state is indistinguishable from the cartels that control the border. They have, they have melded together over the last decade And they are now what we're dealing with is a Mexican state cartel synthesis. Uh, And and there's a lot of evidence to back this up. In fact, just last week, ProPublica published a long and detailed report about how the Sinaloa cartel funded Lopez Obrador's 2006 run for president. And that's where the partnership began. It continues to this day. But, John, I've been told by our border Zares or Zarina, I don't even know what the proper term is. I've been told by Kamala Harris that the, the reason for this illegal immigration is climate change. And, you know, if we could only fix the economy <laughs> and if we could have more jobs and if we could fix all of these issues in these other countries, especially in the Northern Triangle, then the illegal immigration would stop. And what you're saying is that there's there's a lot of powerful people in Mexico who don't want it to stop. No, they're making too much money off of it. What has happened over the past a decade or so is that the cartels and the smuggling networks that contract with the cartels and corrupt elements within the Mexican government have figured out how to monetize illegal immigration. And they've turned it into a massive industrialized black market. People from all over the world are coming now. I mean, 300,000 people were arrested in December. Those are just the ones we know about who were arrested and, and sort of processed. Every single one of those people, every single person who crosses the Rio Grande and enters the United States is a victim of human trafficking. They are all paying the cartels, and they're not just paying the cartels once to cross. When they get here, they form a kind of tax base, and they are effectively debt slaves, and they send remittances back to their families, yes, in their home countries, but they also send remittances back to the cartel networks that they are indebted to for the trip here. And that's what's happening here. Yeah. And the other part of this that I want to talk about, and I want to ask you a little bit about Chuck Schumer's remarks in a second. But before we get to that, you do talk about how recent history suggests that when it comes to dealing with Mexico, sticks work better than carrots. And John, it's hard for me not to read that and think, well, a lot of what the Trump administration did, he, he kind of did tend to go with that strategy more so than Joe Biden. And not just dealing with Mexico, I'm talking about dealing with a lot of uh, foreign countries. Yep. He decided to be a little bit stronger and maybe not just give people whatever they wanted. And you're saying that worked better in this case. Absolutely. And and it was in the American interest, right? Not in the interest of uh, global corporations and, and chamber the Chamber of Commerce. No, Trump absolutely understood what was happening at the border, and he used the stick and not the carrot. If you recall, we had a border surge 
in 2019. It's nothing compared to what we have now. But at the time, it was a big deal. And there was a lot of people coming over the border. And Trump came out and he said, if Mexico doesn't stop these caravans, because there was these huge caravans coming from Guatemala, making their way through Mexico, out in the open, not even trying to hide it. He said, if, if the Mexican president and the Mexican government doesn't stop these caravans, we're going to slap a tariff, a 10% tariff on everything coming into the United States from Mexico. Now, everybody understood what that was really a, a threat of, and it was a threat to collapse the Mexican economy, which would happen overnight if we did that. And lo and behold, President Lopez Obrador stopped those caravans. They never got to the border, and illegal immigration and arrests at the border immediately began to plummet such that when Trump left office, we were hit historic lows for illegal crossings. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about the stick. you got to treat Mexico like the adversary and antagonist that it has become. I'm speaking with John Daniel Davidson from The Federalist. And, and John, the, the last thing I wanted to tell you or, or ask you really to comment on is I've been hearing a lot of Republicans and a lot of people in the media arguing that isn't it better than nothing? Isn't getting this bill? And that's what they're they're saying to Republicans. Like, why won't you, why are you being so mean? Why won't you go along with this? Isn't it better than nothing? And I, I remember hearing that for the first time and thinking, that's a pretty weak sell of why we should be paying all this money, because otherwise we're not going to get anything. And now I'm hearing the other argument or the other sell from the Democrats, which is Chuck Schumer telling, telling uh, an interview, I'm not even sure who the journalist was, telling this person, well, if Republicans don't go along with this, we might end up in a war against Russia and people really wouldn't be happy then. I mean, are, they're not even trying to make arguments anymore, John. They're basically just giving us threats. Yeah, it's emotional blackmail, but really, really lowbrow, yes. kind of unintelligent emotional blackmail. Uh, no, they'll say anything and come up with any justification for this mess of a bill. I think that they thought this might work like it did in the past, where uh, the GOP Senate establishment under McConnell just kind of fell in line, and they could sort of strong-arm Republican uh, members into voting against what their actual constituents wanted. And it totally blew up in their faces. It's not working this time. McConnell has lost control of his conference. And now they're just kind of grasping at straws, saying, well, if you don't approve this border boondoggle, we're going to go to war with Russia. Give me a break. Nobody believes that. And, and, and I think this bill, rightly, is dead on arrival. Yeah, and I'm so glad you just said that lowbrow emotional blackmailing, because I, I have felt like there's no subtlety anymore with the Democrats. I, I never agreed with a lot of what they've done, but they used to be a little bit nuanced about it. And now it's just, OK, so right. after months, after years of telling you there's nothing wrong at the border and saying it's secure and saying everything's OK. Now we're switching it up to say, well, if there's a crisis and if you don't go along with this bill, then it's all your fault. I hope people don't buy into it, John. You seem to think people won't. But, I mean, Republicans now, I, I think, have to really show the American people what's in this bill and why it's so bad. And I think that's happening. You know, it, the uh, one of the great things about this bill is that it's, it's so bad and it's so obvious that it, it is a boondoggle. And, and by the way, you know, the, the whole comment, Schumer's comment about Russia this isn't really a border bill. This is a this is a border stop to try to get sixty billion more dollars to Ukraine. Um, if they really cared about securing the border, and that goes for Democrats and the GOP leadership in the Senate, if they really wanted to secure the border, um, they wouldn't put forward a bill disguised as a border bill that's really about funding Ukraine because they know that that's not popular either. This whole exercise is trying to 
uh, get bills passed that these members know are not popular with the American people, Republican or Democrat. And that and that's what it amounts to. Yeah. And I think they're really, really relying on the fact that Republicans will be so scared that they'll get blamed for this, that they'll go along with it. And I keep telling people, John, you know, get the message out to those Republicans. You're going to get blamed for everything either way. So, so stop bending the knee for this nonsense because you're afraid that Nora O'Donnell or, you know, uh, Joe Scarborough are going to say bad things about you because newsflash that's already happening yeah they're, they're going to say bad things no matter what i think uh, i'm hoping that the real victim in all this is senator james lankford um he's the one who put himself forward as mcconnell's lieutenant to be the face of this bill on the republican side in the senate he's the one who defended it and and he's the one who should be made an example out of his political career should be over uh, as a warning to other gop senators do not do this. Don't fall for McConnell's tricks and don't go against what the American people and your constituents want because your career is on the line and will remember. Absolutely. Well said. John Davidson, one of my favorite writers from The Federalist. You can follow him on Twitter at John D. Davidson and make sure you check out all his work at thefederalist.com. I've got this piece up on my recommended reading. So the link's right there at gracecurleyshow.com if you want to read it. It's really good. And like all of his work, it's very easy to understand and to follow, which I appreciate. All right. When we come back, we'll take your calls on this. It's 844-500-4242. Joe Biden's delivering his remarks on the border bill after over an hour delay do you think he's going to take questions jared no i he's he's in uh whatever that room is he doesn't usually take questions in that room i think he might take one or two i want to want to put it want to want to bet he may uh he may walk towards the door and turn around yeah i think we're gonna get one of those we're gonna get the the back of his head and then a quick kind of answer just because he thinks he's winning on this now. Like He thinks, oh, now the momentum's in our favor. We can blame the Republicans. And he'll probably get a question from a reporter like, what do you say to Republicans who are holding up your wonderful bill, sir? We'll talk more about this when we come back. We'll, we'll play some of the sound. Auctions are one of the oldest forms of commerce known to man. Auctions are how economies determine values for assets and commodities. Auctions are not a fire sale at a discounted price. Rather, auctions are an accelerated sale with competitive pricing. I talked to Justin Manning recently, and I had so many questions about the real estate market, but we ended up talking a little bit about auctions and how my listeners have been taking advantage of this as a way to sell their property. And he said, what I love about your listeners is they're they're not um, they're real free thinkers and they're not afraid to try a different way of selling things if they know it's going to work for them and that's exactly what auctions do. JJ Manning's accelerated auction process is one of the fastest growing segments in real estate and it's a time tested approach. As much as I talk about how amazing it is that you can do this in a really different way than the typical way people sell real estate, that doesn't mean that it's new. It's been around for a long time, since 1976, and they've had over 16,000 auctions. So what are some of the pros, some of the benefits to selling your real estate in on auction versus traditional listing. Well, there are no contingencies. The buyer signs the exclusive PNS and makes a 10% non-refundable deposit that day, and you set the terms, which all buyers must follow. So if you want to check this out to learn more on how to get your commercial, residential, or land sold quickly, contact Charlie Gill at 800-521-0111 or visit jjmanning.com. Call Charlie today at 800 800- 
521-0111 or go to jjmanning.com. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Toby from Cape Gunworks. I'm taking all your firearm and self-defense questions every Tuesday. Join Grace and me for 2A Tuesday, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. This is the Grace Curley Show. I still hang out with my best friend Dave. I've known him since we were kids at school. Last night he had a few shots. Got in a tight spot. Hustling a game of pool. With a couple of redneck boys. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. Sad news about Toby Keith passing away at 62. We've been playing his music all day. Just great. Just great music. Really pro-America and was always very supportive of the troops. Made a point of it all the time to, you know, dedicate some of his time, his performances to our military. And just very sad. Very sad that the country music icon has passed away. 844-500-4242. We got people on the lines who want to talk illegal immigration. And I want to have this conversation as well. We're talking about the border bill. Biden says it's the toughest and fairest immigration law that has ever been proposed. Well, that's news to me. If Joe Biden says it, it must be true. Lisa, you're up next on The Grace Curley Show. Go ahead, Lisa. Hi, Grace. Um, I wanted to talk about the Senate bill that I think is um, very obnoxious, first of all. But I want to uh, focus on the phrase, close the border, close the border. That can't happen. There's so many thousands of miles of border. We don't have thousands of Border Patrol agents that go down there with guns. And what are we going to do? Return all the families back into the Rio Grande or back into the desert? You can't do that. You have to you have to process them or take them in and then deport them. But that's not even going to happen. So close the border. What are they talking about? Like a levee or a, a dam of the metal things that come up from the ground? I mean, there's no there's no border. How do you close it? You don't close it when there are caravans of 10,000 people, 18,000 Haitians, and 10,000 Venezuelans, and Africans, and Syrians, and Afghanis. You can't, there's no closing the border. There are 8 billion people on this planet, and 70% of them want to be in America. So how are we going to do this with Democrats who are funded by open border society people like George Soros and others. There are others. How are we going to do this? There's it's a no really good. The, what do you? It's a really good question, Lisa. I I don't have all of the answers. I think first of all, there's definitely more. Even Bill Maher said this. Like, don't give me. He he was talking about Joe Biden claiming that you know he needs more money and there's nothing he can do. And he said, don't tell me now that you have no power over this. Like, there's nothing you can do. Your hands are tied. He said something along those lines. And he's right. There's ways to secure the border. Like you said, closing the border is going to be tough. But there's definitely ways where you allow the border patrol agents to do their jobs and you don't incentivize people you don't let people think that if they come here they're going to waltz in and get free everything for the rest of their lives that would be the first part and second of all what john daniel davidson said in the last segment is start letting mexico know that if they keep encouraging this they're going to pay a price as well 
And there's a lot more. We'll talk about it when we come back. But this bill certainly isn't getting us any closer to closing the border. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio. When Biden was running for president back in 2019, 2020, I did not have my own program. And so I was pulling a lot of sound for Howie's program. And I remember at the time thinking, I, I thought it was all really, really funny at first. Like during the debates, I just started writing for the Herald. I would, I would write up all these columns about all these Democrat uh, candidates fighting each other, Kamala calling Joe racist on the stage, Pete Buttigieg fighting with Amy Klobuchar. I thought the whole thing was pretty amusing. And then once they decided that Joe Biden was going to be the guy, I remember feeling this shift and, and suddenly realizing, oh, my God, people have not been watching this that closely if they chose this man. Like there is a chance that this man becomes president. And even at that time, I was thinking, but it won't happen. Because people have to pay attention to it, right? They have to know that this man can't form a sense. I would watch I would watch this footage of him trying to talk. And I would say, I remember saying to my sister, and I've said this on the show before, she's younger, she's Gen, Gen Z. And I would say, you should tell your friends that they, they need to watch just two minutes. That's all I ask. Two minutes to make my case. You watch two minutes of Joe Biden speaking. And there's no way you can pull the lever for this guy. You just can't. And the reason I bring this up is because now when I go back and I see cuts of him from that same time period, I think, wow, he was a lot sharper than he is now. Things have gotten dramatically worse for Joe Biden in the last three and a half years. And they weren't great at the beginning. I, I can assure you of that. But watching him right now at the podium, it is scary. He stops. And listen, Republicans do this too. Mitch McConnell has fallen victim to this, like where you just stop and you freeze. But he stops and he's just frozen up there. And he's trying to find his. And I think what happened in that last thing, we're going to play this sound cut for you because it's pretty unbelievable. I think one of the reporters had to help him, like fill in the blank, help him kind of get back into his train of thought. This is absolutely frightening. I do want to go into one other thing, though. That last caller, Lisa, was saying, how do we close the border? You can't close the border. And I had said, listen, you don't incentivize people coming here. And somebody just texted this in and said, if we send people back, they'll go back to their own countries and they'll tell the other people who are thinking of coming here, hey, I couldn't get in. They wouldn't let me in. And it's true. That is how these things tend to work. I'm not saying it's a cure-all, but it definitely sets the tone and it lets people know this isn't really going to happen anymore. It's it's more forceful to actually show people we're not letting anyone else in or we're at least not letting people in illegally versus Kamala Harris getting behind a podium and saying, don't come. <laughs> don't come. The border's closed. We did it, Joe. There has to be a better way than that. And I was just thinking about this because you keep hearing that that term normalize. You know, remember how everyone was so afraid we, that 
Trump was being normalized. Like every time we can't show, we can't legitimize Trump. We can't show him on, on ABC or NBC. We can't show his speeches. We don't want to normalize this MAGA movement. We don't want to normalize. How about we stop normalizing illegal aliens coming into this country, beating the crap out of the NYPD, and then giving the double bird to the media as they waltz out of jail? Could maybe we focus on not normalizing that versus being so afraid of normalizing a president who puts things out on Twitter? I would certainly deal with that chaos, if you even want to call it that, versus what we're seeing now. Let's focus on not normalizing all of that. That might be a good start. Now, before we play the sound cut of Joe Biden, we're going to continue to take your calls, by the way. I want to do the poll question. Because Joe Biden has said he's not going to do the interview on CBS before the big game next weekend. He has decided that he doesn't want to do it. And he's running a basement campaign. It worked the first time around. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so he decided, I'm not going to do this. And Trump said to CBS, pick me. I'm available. I'll do it. I'll fill in. And he said it will be ratings gold. And you know what? Even the fact checkers can't deny that one. Even Daniel Dale or Glenn Kessler can't pretend that Donald Trump puts asses in the seats and he gets people watching. So today's poll question is brought to you by Perfect Smiles. Don't be fooled by imposters with similar names. If you're unhappy with your smile, you need to visit Dr. Bruce Houghton in Nashua. Call 1-844-PERFECT-SMILE or visit PerfectSmiles.com. Jared, what is the poll question and what are the results thus far? Today's poll question, which you can vote in at GraceCarlyShow.com, is what are the chances CBS offers Trump the NFL championship interview? Zero percent, less than 25 percent, 25 to 50 percent, or over 50 percent? The reason they don't want to offer it to him, obviously, is because they don't want to give him the satisfaction because that would be so funny. And it's also such a hit at Joe Biden. If like, oh, you're too afraid to come on CBS. Fine. We'll get Donald Trump. We'll get the real president. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just kidding. Don't freak out. I know Joe Biden is the current president. But that's why they won't do it. And also because, you know, the the women at the coffee shops in Wellesley will be like, did you see what they put on before the big game? Oh, it was awful. Orange man bad. He was talking about winning and, you know, coming back in and enforcing the rule of law. And I just I couldn't sleep at all. I was just I was so worked up. So, no, I don't think they're probably going to I don't think they're going to do it. I would say it's between zero and 25 percent. 10% agree with you on that. 3% think it's over 50%. 2% say 25 to 50 and 85% say zero. The reason I don't say zero is because it would be ratings gold. Like he's right about that. And at the end of the day, it's a TV network. They, They need ratings. Are you really in a position to turn away something people would watch? And I, and I heard, um, I heard some ideas being floated around, but I think the best one I heard was that Trump, if CBS says no, which they probably will, they don't want to give a real interview to Donald Trump. They'd rather give a softball interview to the old man eating ice cream in the White House. I think Trump should, Trump and Tucker Carlson should do an interview before the big game, sit down together and break the internet. That to me is just as good. 
Like, if CBS doesn't want him, fine. Bring his ratings elsewhere. Tucker Carlson likes good ratings. 844-500-4242. By the way, just one other thing. We talked about, I keep mentioning that illegal alien who gave the double bird to the photographers outside of jail after he got out for beating up an NYPD officer, and or two of them, I think. And I, I saw a lot of people over the weekend on social media were saying this picture, because it was an incredible picture, this picture of this illegal alien giving the double bird, not just to Joe Biden, but to all of us, you know, to all the taxpayers in America, to all the fools who have been putting up with this, this picture could sink Joe Biden. Like, this is one of those pictures that sticks in people's minds. And recently, I saw Megyn Kelly saying, oh, the video of E. Jean Carroll being all giddy with Rachel Maddow about how she was going to use her winnings from that case, the $83.3 million, to buy a house in France. She said this is the kind of video that could that could help Trump, that could guarantee Trump a win in this election. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if one thing's going to do it. Because uh, wh- wh- why would that be? Like, yes, part of me goes, yeah, you're right. This picture encapsulates so much of what's wrong right now in this country and how bad this administration is. But I just don't know if people are waking up to it. I, I really don't. Howie sent me some poll today from I think it was from Breitbart and it said was it 61 percent of people think that the Biden family is corrupt let me get you the actual statistic because my response back was oh it says 61 percent not fooled by media cover-up of Biden's mental decline and you know what my reply to that is Jared only 61 percent let me play you this sound cut and you tell me if this is something that only 61 percent of people should not be fooled by. Go ahead, play. This is Biden. May God bless you all. May God protect our troops. Folks, you're going to ask me questions. Hang on a second. I'm going to be back on Thursday. I don't want to prejudice what may be going on in negotiations now. So I'm not going to be answering any questions of this. I'll be back Thursday to stand here with you and answer all the questions you want. Okay, so when he says I'll be back here Thursday to answer all the questions you want, what he means by that is I will have a cheat sheet. I will have a postcard with three people's faces on it. ABC Mary, maybe Zeke from AP, and one other lucky person will be able to ask me one approved question that nobody in America cares about. That's what he means when he says I'll take all your questions coming up. But I love the fact that he's trying to come up with a reason why he's not going to take questions now. Like, dude, the gig on that is up. Nobody is under the impression that you're not you're taking questions or not taking questions based off what's going on behind the scenes. Like, that is the biggest crock of bleep I've ever heard. Oh, so this time you're not taking questions because you don't want to ruin what's going on. You, you don't want to uh, jeopardize the deal making what's the reason for all of the other times over the past three and a half years where you haven't taken any questions go ahead keep planning jared about this issue thank you this is incredible this indirectly has a lot to do with the hostage deal and what's going on in the middle east the decision on what we do relative to israel decision what we do in terms of American funding 
of whether we're going to engage with the situation in Ukraine. It all goes to the question of American power. It all goes to, was America keep its word? Does America move forward? There is some movement. Because what I'm about to play is the longest pause, maybe one of the longest pauses he's ever had. But before we play that, this all goes back to whether America keeps its word. What part of America's word involves sending $60 billion to Ukraine and allowing illegal aliens to just come into this country, incentivizing it with green cards and work permits and allowing up to 5,000 illegal aliens to come in here a day, normalizing that, normalizing illegal aliens coming in here and committing all of these crimes and being released from jail, allowing these hotels all over the country to take in illegal aliens and turn into complete migrant shelters. What part of America's word, when did we sign on for that? I don't remember that. How is that part of like our promise? Whether we keep our word is signing on to this boondoggle? Okay, go ahead. This is the big pause. I don't want to well, maybe choose my words. There's some movement. There's been a response from the, uh, the, the there's been a response from the opposition. But um, it, it, yes, I'm sorry, from Hamas. But it seems to be uh, a little over the top. We're not sure where it is. There's a continuing negotiation right now. Mr. President, if this bill fails, would you consider supporting something separate that just addresses Israel or Ukraine? I'm not going to concede that now. We need it all. The rest of the world's looking at us, and they really are. <laughs> we need it all. Oh, yeah. Well, so do I. Like, I don't understand this, why Democrats, it must be nice being a Democrat. You don't have to compromise on anything. You can come up with the most BS bills known to man. And then you just say, no, I'd rather have it all than nothing. Is this compromise? Oh, is this bipartisanship in the making? And I love how the reporter goes, Hamas, like they're filling in, like this is Mad Libs. They're filling in the blank for this dude. No, no, no. Let him answer the question. I didn't think this was a group effort. Like, okay, we're going to ask you a question, then we're going to help you out along the way. Audience participation? Yeah, did did they do that for Donald Trump? I don't think so. Not that he needed it, but still. Uh, Let's go to Kevin. You're up next on the Grace Curley Show. Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, Two little points. Uh, One, first of all, uh, are we not, as far as I know, was not the... uh, Kamala Harris made border czar, so is she not the one in charge of everything? And if Joe were to have gotten his what he wants in his budget for the border, would he have used those ankle bracelets on the people that were just released and double-birded everybody and got on the buses to head to California? No, he would not. Um, as you know, Kevin, he's a big fan of people who are just coming into this country illegally and disrespecting the cops at the same time. There's that's really a that's a double win for Joe Biden. And as far as Kamala Harris goes, yeah, we brought that that up just a couple segments ago. Kamala Harris is the borders are. But keep in mind, Kevin, she's got a lot on her plate. Okay, she's also in charge of space, Venn diagrams, electric buses, which are having a bit of a PR issue right now and giggling. 
You know, she's in charge of cackling all across America. And she's always talking about abortion, too. So she's got a pretty jam-packed schedule. But to to answer your question, yes, somewhere in that long list, somewhere in that LinkedIn resume, there's something about the border. You just have a hard time finding it. Thanks for the call, Kevin. We'll take more of your calls on this when we come back. 844-500-4242. We'll be right back. The Grace Curley Show will be right back. This is The Grace Curley Show. I said, Dave, I ain't as good as I once was. Welcome back. Let's go right to the callers here. Jerry's on the line, wants to talk about Biden. What's going on, Jerry? Hi, Grace. Thanks for taking my call. So a little while back, you made a comment about just let me give him two minutes of watching him speak. And then if they see that, they can't pull a lever for him. Revisiting that comment, your aim is off. You've got to adjust your aim. The enemy at the gate is not the, po- the politician. We know how they're going to behave. It's those that support that politician. That is, the, that is where the crux of this problem lies. There are people who would watch this guy give a speech for two minutes and, and not be able to comprehend that what they're watching is the, you know, a, a gentleman in the midst of dementia. There's no question about it. He's just not playing with a full deck. Yet, in spite of that, they'll still pull a lever for him because the problem lies with them. You can't blame a dog for biting. That's what dogs do. But you can blame the owner for letting the dog loose if the dog gets out. This is what we have to address. Not, they're going to be who they're going to be. Nothing's going to change there. How do we change those that support them? How do we institute change in that segment of the population? Yeah, and you know what I wonder, Jerry, too, though, or I guess not wonder, but who I blame more so than Joe Biden, because like you said, Joe Biden's going to do what he's going to do. Democrats are going to do what they're going to do. And we know that we got to we got to know that going in. I do blame the media, though, as much as I'm fully aware of how awful they are. It's worse to me because they're the ones who are supposed to be informing the American public about what's going on. And at every turn. They run cover for this guy. They demonize the right. And they're just incredibly dishonest. And I know I should come to expect it, but it still really infuriates me. We'll talk more when we come back.